And welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. Before we jump back into the interview with Michelle Boulanger, and I promise you it is about to get really cool and really weird, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my Patreon subscribers. You are totally making a difference in helping uh, Modern Witch happen right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of love, especially to you, Bob Rose, who is uh, one of my Audio Spectre supporters. Uh, I also want to tell you guys, in case you didn't know, that I have a new book out, Modern Witch Spells recipes and workings that is a pictorial guide to witchcraft and it is dropping right now so uh, it should already start arriving uh, in different warehouses and uh, the official release date is february 7th 2020 um, but we should go ahead and we should be seeing it now actually so if you're out there and you see it in the wild take a picture uh, let me know uh, send it to me post it on instagram tell all your friends do that all that good stuff uh, this is one that you are not going to want to miss once again that is modern witch spells recipes and workings and it is available now. All right, without further ado, let's jump back into this really cool discussion with Michelle Ballanger. What is that? It's a little bag made from the skin of a toad. Does it matter? She, she's tampering in dark sided stuff. Yet in our own supremely rational time, there has been a dramatic rebirth of the ancient arts of witchcraft. You're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast with Devin Hunter. To be that person who is a realist and, you know, you're, I, I see you look at science and I see you look at things that are happening and you're critically thinking all the time to to suspend that part of ourselves and to bear the the crazy supernatural thing that's inside of ourselves this is a really difficult experience sometimes um and you do it you make it easy you make it look easy <laughs> what what finally was the key for me was realizing that it was the same as writer brain versus editor brain there's that creative part of you that's like just putting the words on the paper and getting all the ideas out but if editor brain gets in the way and starts going, are you sure that word really belongs in that sentence? Do you have too many commas? Is there too many clauses? Like if, if editor brain, like those two ways of thinking about the experience are mutually exclusive. They're both valuable. And then the same goes for the psychic readings with, with the TV stuff is there's the experience it in the moment, analyze it afterwards. If your analytic brain jumps in when you're experiencing it, you're going to choke the experience. You're going to overthink it, and you will stop the flow. Uh, but you have to be able to step back afterwards and critically think about every aspect of, like, did I walk into the room and happen to see things that helped to front load me and I just didn't realize it? Did somebody say something? Was it, uh, you know echo location in the room because I'm blindfolded, but now I know the room's bigger. Like that's when I start to ask the questions. Um, I've had a really great experience with the portals to hell folks. Uh, Cause Katrina of course is a, a paranormal state alum. So she knows how I work and has gotten to see like the development of my abilities over time as I got more confident with just being in the moment. And, and Jack is incredibly supportive of like, what do you need? And he will just, make everybody bend over backwards to the point of like, I'm, I, I want to be blindfolded from the time we leave the hotel room. I want this. Uh, if you leave me somewhere, make sure I'm pointed somewhere where I can't see what's going on. Nobody's allowed to talk to me around about any of this stuff. Don't mention it. Don't not even random chatter about the location. 
like as, as little information as possible because I have such a hard time not questioning it at that point. Like I, I worry and I really, if I don't think that it's a legitimate perception, I don't, I don't spit it out. If I think that I might yeah. have tainted or poisoned, I won't spit it out. Um, so, so I love, I love working with that. that Do you get scared when you're on investigation? I have a very different yardstick for what's scary. Um, there have been a couple of experiences that were a little overwhelming or weird enough that I wasn't certain I wanted to continue. Um, the two of them that I'm thinking about were in paranormal state. And one, I just, I, Ryan's leading me from the house where what was in there just felt really, you know, kind of terabad, like, Clearly, there'd been a lot of suffering, but as he moved me out from one space into another space, before I entered the second space, I had this sort of drop in the gut feel of, I don't really want to go in there, which I, I, I mentioned. He's like, well, well, we don't have to. I'm like, well, no, it's my job to go in. And what I did was I walked into uh, the space where the woman who had wanted us out in this location had hung herself three weeks before. And... I'm standing exactly where that happened, uh, and it was incredibly fresh and incredibly gut-wrenching, and it was really freaking hard to get out of my head, because so many of these things are spirits that we're dealing with, or imprints that we're dealing with, that are 20, 50, 100 years old, and that was a psychic wound on the space, and standing in it, and just letting myself feel the whole thing. That sucked. Um... And the other one was, I don't think this episode ever made it to, to the air. Uh, I think it's because the, the family shut it down. Whatever was going on, and of course they interpreted it as a demon. Um, whatever it was, it was big. It was non-human. It was very aware that we were there. And it was probably one of the first spirits that I was like, I'm not sure I can actually go toe-to-toe with this. So I'd prefer to just leave it alone. And that's not an experience that I frequently have. I don't think of myself as a a magical worker who has hubris about that. I'm not like Billy Badass, I can take everything. Uh, But I I know what my abilities are. And I don't normally hit the, huh, I don't want to fuck with you. Let's just agree to disagree and walk away. But that that one, I think, is the, the closest to, I guess, fear. But like I said, I, I don't experience that quite the same. Way. I don't think so, I do either. I, I, I get startled. I mean, that happens. But um, I tend to sit with it, whatever that feeling is. And I, and I think the other thing, too, is part of um, my more, I guess we'll call it shamanic training, um, had to do with being in dark spaces and having that, that sense of someone's with you in the room, you know, kind of there and not run from it and, and, and kind of face that. And I think so much of what we do as mediums, um, involves just that. Um, and it's, it's tricky sometimes. I, 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 you know, I watch all the shows. I, you know, of course, what kind, what type of paranormal person would I be if I didn't? Um, and there's a, there are few, there are few psychics who I, 
And it really gets, I guess, the judgment, if there's judgment at all, it comes from just the, well, I've been there and that, that looked way too easy for you, or that looked, you know, that, that looked assumed or, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And, but for the most part, um, you know, and there's also a lot of crap out there. I mean, that's that's absolutely true in the oh, paranormal Oh, yeah, yeah, world. let's, let's yeah. not lie. Yeah, there's definitely some crap. Um, so, but watching you, like, you're one of my favorites to watch on TV. I also really love Amy Allen. She's, like, super phenom. Um, just from that perspective of, you know, she's, what I love, what I really love is that, you know, and, and I'm sure you can speak to this too. You're on an investigation, you walk into a room, whether you're blindfolded or not, you're you know, if there's an entity or there's a spirit energy, or there's something there and it starts to kind of come through to you and your brain starts to put the pieces together. Sometimes it looks like a little girl and sometimes it looks like an imp and sometimes it looks like a tree and, you know, it could be all kinds of different things. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it, it's always funny to me that, you know, you watch these shows and it's instantly, oh, that's a demon. That's a demon. That's definitely a demon. And I'm like, there's no way that all of these things are demons. And there's no way that all of these things are, you know. Um, and with with you and with people like Amy Allen, it's it's not presented that way. You're giving very much so the raw, what you're experiencing and how things are coming across. And um, and that's appreciated. I mean, it really, truly is. Just because there's a lot of people who, you know, they, they are doing investigations or they're interested in the paranormal. And the examples that are set out there aren't always the most realistic. And I think it's one of the things like with Hellier right now that's going on and we're going to have Dana on the show soon. Um, mm. Oh, good, good. You know, but that's one of the things we're getting that we're, we're watching this backlash of, of people. That's not real. And oh, they're making this up. And I'm like, no, that's actually what it's more like. It's a lot more yeah. like going in, feeling things out, connecting strange dots and then wondering if you're crazy. Like that's so much of what it, it, the actual experience is. Um, so do you feel like as an investigator, we are the, the current field, the way things are now? Do you feel that we're headed in a better direction than we were like 10 years ago? Because I feel like 10 years ago, it was all about provocation. It was all about ridding environments of spiritual energies versus teaching people to deal with them or teaching people to, you know, kind of work with those things. And I feel like we've, we're seeing changes like that now, which is awesome. Um, but I, I, I'm, I feel like you have a, a, a bigger, a better pulse or a better you know, touch on the pulse of what's going on. There's two points I want to cover with that. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, however long it was with Paranormal State, the, my biggest comeuppance with working with the show was realizing that the people who designed the show, not the Paranormal Research Society, not the cast, but the producers who pitched the show and who ran the show, didn't believe in shit. They didn't expect this to be real. They were honestly shocked when they finally were asking us to fake stuff that we refused because they assumed all of, all of it was fake. And what I have noticed over time is, while I think that there are still those elements within um, the paranormal shows where the people who are put, putting them together really don't, they just see it as entertainment. They don't expect there to be anything real. There are many more people who are genuine believers, genuine practitioners, who are at least educated about it, who see this not just as entertainment, but as an, a legitimate experience. And they do make an effort to convey that and to do so genuinely. And my greatest spark of hope right now is seeing Hellier. I hope against all hope that Hellier and that it inspires a renaissance in how people approach paranormal shows. 
I know that paranormal television, especially when it was starting out, like straddled this weird space between reality TV and the horror genre. And again, a lot of the producers, they're going for jump scares. They're not necessarily going for genuine stuff when they want, which is that they, they fall to stereotypes and tropes. And so they know a guaranteed titillating event is demonic possession. So everything's going to be a demon because that's going to get the ratings. When at this point we've had so many people watching the shows that, and they've educated themselves. Hollywood especially really underestimates the general intelligence of the audience. And while some days the people who uh, pass along Facebook memes do make me wonder whether or not they're accurate, but most of everybody's dumb. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. But, you know, the fans that I interact with, the people who watch these shows, who talk to me, they're, they know when they're seeing something that's fake and they know when they're seeing something that's been glossed over or polished up or prettied up. And what they really want is something that is closer to their actual experiences. And I think that we are finally at a point where the production companies realize that too. I was on Haunted Salem Live and uh, the cool thing that I got to overhear behind the scenes was the buzz, was listening to the producer people have a very different attitude than I was used to about what they were willing to present and how they framed the dialogue of this information. So, so I think we are moving toward a pretty neat time. And I think we wouldn't be here if we hadn't been kind of raising the bar and encouraging dialogue and having some shows that were frankly really fake and start to just grate on people because they were fake. Our, our feedback does count. Like if you're watching a show and you just think it's a bunch of crap, I don't think that like ranting on Facebook is a good answer, but actually reach out to the folks who've put the show on and let them know what you think. You're easily amused. Modesty is one of my girlish qualities. For 30 years, the Mystic Dream has been a premier marketplace for spiritual, metaphysical, and occult supplies. Nestled in the San Francisco East Bay, the Mystic Dream is home to herbs, crystals, books, witchcraft and conjure supplies, and the largest selection of tarot and oracle cards in the area. Check us out online at www.themysticdream.com. Okay, so Nephilim. Um, so I just have a, a couple of questions, and um, I, I'm going to... You can answer to the best you can and as most comfortably as you can, so don't feel put on the spot. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I want to talk about Nephilim in a more literal sense, because I feel like we are... You know, we're often going through and identifying spiritual types and and these different things, but we we keep it all very philosophical and we keep it all unverified gnosis, which is great, and I think that should be the driving factor for everything. But um, I talking about nephilim as actual beings that are in existence or maybe were in existence. Um, is something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with, and they they especially at least in my in my uh, view. And I'd like to kind of 
I don't know, just kind of break that can open a little bit more and talk about Nephilim as spiritual energies or spirits that we can communicate with that um, are impacting us and have have some sort of of sway over humanity. Um, And so I wanted to ask you, A, do you think the Nephilim are real in the sense that... um, they they still are having influence uh, over humanity. They still are part of our existence. I think the Nephilim, the Watcher Angels, or Rin, whatever you want to call them, uh, are real, exist, continue to linger both as energies, as disembodied beings, and occasionally as beings that take up human flesh to interact and teach from a different perspective. What What's their purpose, do you think? Oh, I think some have forgotten what that purpose is because being stuck here for so long is a little confusing. Um, But primarily to teach, to challenge, and to transform. Um, If they are the many born um, watchers and wanderers, uh, they are catalysts of, of wisdom, of change. And from your perspective, are these beings that we should be afraid of? No. Now, that's not to say that they aren't dangerous, sometimes challenging and difficult beings. Uh, and I know we avoid the word angel because in it's been very co-opted by Christianity, this, this concept of these beings that are that sometimes can take human faces, but are other. And especially among Wiccans, pagans, and practitioners of witchcraft, saying angel or, or demon, there's this fear that it requires a belief in damnation and redemption in a kind of heaven and hell that is very Christian. And that's absolutely not the case. These things... These beings and our records of these beings are so much older than Christianity. They're older than Judaism. They go back to the very core of um, Western civilization, at least. I think this is... Don't edit out the awkwardness because um, I I am tracing a line of what I can under oath completely explain um, from my tradition. I've been in this position exactly once before on a Norwegian television show, Denandra Seiden, where the mother-in-law of the Norwegian princess called me out for exactly what she saw about who I am and what I am and what I'm tied in with. I, I am I totally here for a very real yeah. experience. So no, don't you worry, because <laughs> this is difficult and it's 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 hard. It's it's so hard to talk about this, and I I'm still trying to grapple with why. So because I find it difficult to to bring up, and I know it's more than just you, you know. Of course, there's oathbound and you know things that I have, and and I I know. Um, it's it's an awkward, I guess, just topic for a lot of people. But for me, it, it there's there's this almost like a fog there, and 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 how I can word things and form these things. So I, I I can appreciate any 
approach or or experience you're having while you're trying to do this thing that I, I struggle to do myself. Oh yeah, no, not not just a fog, but like there are literally uh, moments where I will start to try to explain something and my my words will just lock up. Like I will literally have to like scramble in my brain to figure out some way to kind of like circumvent saying it as directly. And and which is why I've done so much the art that I've done, like uh, my album Blood of Angels with the title song Blood of Angels, which tells a story, which is something that ties in with everything else that I write. And my fiction series, which also tells a story about these tribes of angels that are born and reborn in different ways and are here and are in some cases trying to figure themselves out and others all following their own agendas. And they are deathless and immortal, even though they pick up different human lives over time in order to help steer history and help steer people and, and watch and protect and sometimes fuck it up along the way because being here in this particular incarnated plane is by its nature sort of screwed up. Um, it is a very real part of my belief system and my tradition uh, I hope that the Caprians aren't going to wake out about that. Uh, I think it's about time for everybody to start talking about it openly, because at this point, after talking with people in the fairy tradition and folks who practice in different witchcraft traditions and the vampire community and all of it, finding that this is the dirty little secret of pretty much every group that I've ever been drawn to because they feel real, like they from listening to them, from seeing their magic, from watching them practice, I recognize a way of perceiving the world that is much more genuine, that has a greater depth. Uh, I would say we shouldn't be afraid of our truths simply because we've been raised in a culture that tells us that angels and demons are the province of Christianity, which we find not merely hypocritical, but frequently offensive. Maybe there's a reason why you're so offended by the way they present angels. Maybe it's personal. Huh. I, I, I love that. Um, I really do. I, I, it's, yeah, no, this is, this is one of the, and it, to talk about the, the concept of, angels mating with mankind in any form and and my what i've been what i've been told and what i what i ended up writing about in the witch's book of spirits um were that it 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 was very much of there were there were some of them that were born physically and then there were some of them that were born kind of in what we can only refer to as kind of spiritually and these beings came into existence and they have influence over us they can come and go as they want and um, so on and so forth. And for me, one of the hard conversations I end up having a lot with like my mother um, is I have a, I have a helicopter flying over my house all of a sudden. <laughs> Maybe it's black. Hmm. Uh, no, but uh, the, right. uh, the, one of the things that I had always end up talking about my mother because uh, she is more in the conspiracy theory camp. Uh, with things often than I tend to be. And we're both very into the supernatural. Um, 
she's a Bigfoot hunter, you know, like that's, that's her thing. And, and she's, I mean, to the point where she is like a, a silhouette, a wooden silhouette of a Bigfoot in her front yard. So that when people drive by, they think there's something in her yard. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so she's really into it. And, um, so, but when she found out that I was talking to Nephilim and I was having, <laughs> I was, they were in my home and we were, uh, channeling a grimoire together and all of this crazy shit that ended up happening. She was very disturbed and instantly went into this very conspiratorial place about Nephilim being, uh, aliens who were trying to come over to our dimension and take over. And, and I didn't realize that there, that this was like a thing for people. Uh, and I went looking and sure as hell there is just, oh, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's like, I don't want to say crazy. Cause I, I, that's just a term that needs to be not used all the time, but yeah. um, it's, it's mind blowing that there are people who have invested this sort of thing into it. But at the same time, here I am saying, well, I believe in these other things and I have these these core, you know, concepts that will not drain away from my soul. So why can't I judge somebody else for having, you know, something similar? Um, but and it makes me wonder because I, I often think there humanity has to have been visited before um, when we do get into UFOs and we do get into uh, ufology and, and the world that's there, we can see all kinds of interesting uh, things happening where, you know, at one point it was all alien or it was all, you know, fairy abductions and angel abductions. And then kind of right about the time we had the, you know, the A-bomb, then there's this switch and suddenly it's it's alien abductions. And suddenly, you know, we have, uh, you know, the Barney Hill tapes and we have these experiences that are very similar to what people would report when they were kidnapped by the fairies or uh, the goblins or, you know, what have you. Lost time. I'm just I mean, writing about that. <laughs> all of these things, right? And the, yeah, exactly. And so I'm like, oh, I know Michelle's going to be the perfect person to bring this to, to bring this topic up with. I here I am as sure as I am about so many things in the psychic, in my psychic uh, kind of playbook and, and, and how I view the world. But this is one of those things that I'm not quite sure. You know, um, I feel like we have this thin line between what makes a, uh, a person who experienced a UFO uh, maybe, or maybe even an abduction themselves. Um, and those stories that we have as foundational elements of our belief systems and the occult, you know, we, I mean, we literally, and in so many traditions are trying to recreate circumstances. So we will get abducted by a fairy or we will go have one of these experiences. And then you have these people who are just having them out in the wild and to have that intersection um, uh, with the Nephilim being both spiritual energies, but also, you know, uh, possibly aliens. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's this, never-ending loop of what if for me and i i'm just wondering where are you at on that an easy an easy question i know (laughs) the first question that i asked myself when i when i heard the other side of it like you know the nephilim are these like dark evil things and they came in from elsewhere and they, they were doing horrible things to humanity what if what if we're all remembering the same thing from different perspectives of experience, different fragments of it. So, all right, angels. What do we what do we mean when we say angel? Something that is more than human, not quite a god, bigger than a human being. Um, okay, they can take human form. Biblical stuff tells us that. Maybe memories tell us that. 
oh hell, you know what? All right. What if there were beings that were more made of energy than they were of flesh? They existed on a plane of existence, a realm, a completely different place. Let's just call it the city of silver and mist. Maybe they don't remember where it was themselves. They just know that it ended and they couldn't be there anymore. They didn't exist in a way that was anchored to anything like being alive was. And they started to drift and they needed somewhere to be, some way to exist, to not just lose themselves in experience, some incarnation. Um, our experience of each individual life is a way of anchoring ourselves to time, anchoring ourselves to a certain experience. So let's say that there were these beings that had to figure out some way to incarnate, and this was the only game in town. Being human was the only place to be at the time, from wherever they found themselves. And maybe they figured out how to, either incarnating directly in people, attaching them to people, themselves to people, but in one way or another, becoming involved in this, this world that we find ourselves on. Only they have a different experience of death and rebirth. They don't really die when their physical body dies, if they've taken a physical body, because they're this much older, longer, energetic thing. And maybe incarnating is really hard because they're made up completely differently, but they have to find some way to make it work if they want to not just sort of drift and get lost between what they used to know and how things around them changed. And maybe some of them have a purpose and maybe some of them just really want to have an experience. I, I know so much of our, our Western metaphysics tell us that the journey of progress is from, from flesh to spirit. Flesh is automatically bad, like this dualism that we've gotten from Zoroastrianism mainly. Uh, flesh is bad, and so you're, you are striving to become a spiritual being. So it, it seems completely backwards for something that would be spirit to want to be in a body. I think it's more complicated than that. I think that there's a cycle. I think beings that start off as earthly and physical go through a process and, and kind of ascend to something that's different, something that we'll think, we'll say higher, even though there's a valuation in that word that I think is, is false. And then spend some time being an energy being and kind of traipsing around and being free of flesh and stuff. But after a while, you, you miss having a good fuck, eating chocolate, kissing, touching. So what do you do? You come back and experience things as a physical being for a while again. I think it's a cycle. I think we go from spirit to flesh and flesh to spirit. And part of the story of the angels or the Nephilim can be found in looking at that cycle. And whether or not, yeah, and, and whether or not we, we think of it as, as aliens, you know, are they aliens? I, if they're not from around here, I guess by definition, yes. But if they've been around here for 10,000 years, 15,000 years, maybe since the end of the last Ice Age or before then, do they qualify as human? I mean, at what point, once you've immigrated, do you become a naturalized citizen? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. 
That's and funny. I say that with tongue in cheek only because these are questions I've asked myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I work with um, a, I work with a spirit named Moloch, and um, all of everybody who's read my books, you've you've heard about Moloch. Um, and he he uh, identified himself as an angel pretty early on, and um, but made me go looking for it, which was a fascinating thing in itself. But his name Amalek obviously comes from uh, that word that means angel. Um, so it was this interesting thing with 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 the spirit because there was a lot of resistance that I had had to kind of what he was presenting himself to be until he kind of wore me down, and I was just left with that realization that like, well, there's nothing I'm going to do to change what he is, you know, so I just need to listen. Um, And in that, one of the things that he was very clear on um, is that we switch back and forth a lot. So we're, we're kind of always together. We're, we're buddies. um, And, and, you know, the last lifetime uh, he was incarnate and he was doing his thing. And the one before that, it was me. And we just kind of trade off and, what he explained yeah, that's was how we, that's shit. That's that's how we do it too. That's how we do it too. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, but what he explained <laughs> was that the essentially human life, uh, sent you have to be sentient in order to kind of contain all of the energy that we are, whether you know just the the soul's energy, if you want to think of it like that. But that human life was a battery, and so you came in, you got you got a recharge because there were there were actual electrical processes and things that were happening that enriched your soul material, and you need that. It's like fuel it's fuel it's food and then you go off and you go do your own thing and and then you come back when you're needed or when you choose to and you know so on and so forth but he's he was very clear that we you know we have this this in tandem thing that goes on and he's i'm never quite alone and he's never quite alone and and it's this really trippy thing but um so i i feel resonance with with what you're talking about here big time i yeah i mean the, the one thing that i can say is without incarnating if it goes for too long they curl into themselves and either go like completely catatonic like there's a degradation of soul that happens and and you know it would be it would be a blessed release if that led to oblivion but all that does is lead to just this 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 being that has curled in on itself and is like caught in a loop of shredded memory and it is the most heart-wrenching painful existence i've ever witnessed any being be caught in um and so the thing is is certain types of damage and certain types of experiences and certain types of trauma definitely can make it possible that it's that you get that it becomes impossible to incarnate Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's um, that's it's kind of how I understand demons to kind of be birthed. Essentially, um, it's life force that's twisted upon itself and kind of chokes itself off, so it can't grow Ooh. anymore and it's just stuck in a loop. Um, and it's just a denser, heavier. We would identify it as sad, or you know, uh, un- kind of not necessarily in resonance with our own existence uh, because of the way that we vibrate. You know, and I'm totally telling people demons aren't necessarily evil, right? Like I've met some some angels who were absolute assholes, and I've met some demons that were just so kind and sweet. You know, but um, those are the things that usually aren't walking around us. You know, the 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 scary demon. When I've had experiences as a as an investigator. Or even just with clients who come in with things, um, the th- when I get spooked, 
it's 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 usually coming from this this perspective of i've i've identified something that feels completely backwards to the way that i know and the way that i feel existence and so you know demons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are that you know i always tell people you know in a fish tank you need good and bad bacteria and if you, you if you have an influx of the good bacteria, everything's going to die. If you have an influx of the bad bacteria, everything's going to die. You have to have a balance, and that's what angels and demons do. You know, angels are kind of putting things in order and making things happen, and demons are kind of decomposing that those things. And you know, it's a cycle, it's a process, and we need all of those things. Um, so when we go and you have one of those experiences where you run into something that feels heavier, or it feels lower in vibration, or it feels darker. Um, you're, you're still witnessing a being, you're still witnessing, uh, you know, life just in a different type of life, you know, and just because it may be, let's say it's like a, it's carrion doesn't mean that it's evil. You know, we're, we're as beings that are alive, we are programmed to stay away from dead things. Like, you know, that's, there's a reason zombies look the way that they do in our minds and you know how all of those things developed. We don't want to be around dead bodies. Like that's a thing. It's it's there as a as an animal to you know you stay away from the diseased thing. That's just smart, you know. So it's instinctual that's there. And I feel like a lot of the times those those same impressions that are very instinctive, very intuitive are are programmed into us just on an animal level. And then we go and we have an experience that we can't explain, and our initial urges to run or our initial urges to identify it as something that that is evil um and it's really just coming from that base instinctual place where you know people like you and me we show up and we have to sit with that and make sure that that's actually what's happening um because energy is is different and the spirits are are not as easily explained as as i think we want them to be um and when it comes to these bigger things, these these things like angels and demons, um, we do have so much of a cultural bias that I think really keeps us from being able to understand what's going on. Um, yeah, but yeah, digging through even just the folklore, like there's, again, for me, my path is like my personal experience paralleling, like reading what's been written and like reading between the lines and letting my... I cheat because I know where to look. Like, I remember what was written. I remember what cultures certain things happened in. So I, I try to find what what made it to the record. Um, but, God, it just, it, it does irk me that we've gotten so far away from it. If people just read some of the stories and try to read between the lines, what I'm saying is there's clearly a truth behind the veil. And not just, you know, we, we say angels and demons in our culture. Um, in Islamic folklore, it's jinn. And again, if you just look behind the veil, talking about the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the stories we, we, we've collected are part of our shared gnosis. You know, they, those are things that our ancestors or the people who came before us witnessed and experienced. And just because we can look back and say they were uneducated by today's standards doesn't mean that those were invalid experiences. Um, and I think what I'm really turned on by as a psychic right now is that we're having those discussions, you know, where we're starting to go, well, wait a minute, you know, what's, what's really going on here? And is this possibly connected to anything else? 
And that to me is this really beautiful, beautiful thing to witness. Um, do you feel that uh, when it comes to angels and demons, that um, we are going to continue to get more educated? Do you feel like we're we're embracing these things, or do you feel like we're we're turning away? Because I think what I'm experiencing is yes, it's getting easier to talk about them in certain circles, but not necessarily everywhere. Yeah, I think we're on a precipice where in certain circles it's easier to talk about it, but there's, I, I have stood at this crossroads before where we are with our culture, um, where so many things are changing and the world is crumbling around us, and a reaction that I remember from a long time ago is you end up with these little cabals of people who understand the truth and are willing to speak the truth, but the the more that grows, the more there's usually a push against it. And I hope that this time things break through that sort of natural resistance that, that need to crush and to make these things secret or forgotten. But I think where we are at right now with culture, there's going to be pushback. I think we're careening toward another satanic panic, and that scares the hell out of me, uh, because I had so much hope as things moved through the 90s to the 2000s that we were actually getting to a point where some of those veils could be removed, that we could move beyond just telling our truths in stories and in music and in fiction and just go, hey, I see that you are carrying wings of light on your back. Let's talk. Sounds like paranormal phenomena. Hey everybody, it's Devin here. I'm proud to announce that the Witch Power series, my first book series with Llewellyn Worldwide, is now complete. And as if that wasn't awesome enough, I've developed a course for intermediate to advanced practitioners who want to take the material from the books and their witch power to a whole new level. In the Witch Power Masterclass, we take the work from the series and expand upon it through additional exercises, reading, audio and video lessons, and ritual. By the time you complete this 52-week course, you will not only have a grasp of what you and your witch power are capable of, but the direction and personal insight necessary to build a life with your magic that you want on your own terms. The Witch Power Masterclass is available only at themysticdreamacademy.com. Use code MODERNWITCH, that's all one word, to get $10 off. Again, that's at themysticdreamacademy.com, and you can use code MODERNWITCH, all one word, to get $10 off. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Try and control your temper. Remember, peace on earth, goodwill toward men includes witches. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I remember when I was, uh, I was maybe 13, 14. No, I was like 13 years old and I had um, come across, it was like a pagan, I think it was on Yahoo back in the day. Um, it was a pagan chat. And uh, I met these, these people who became, you know, friends and they were much older. They knew I was young, um, but they were much older. And, and um, I just thought they were cool as hell because they were these, you know, practiced people who were talking to me and so on and so forth. And I remember getting into this really strange discussion one night 
And it, it's something that actually really changed and altered the whole course of my practice. Um, because one of them had said, so we've, you know, me and so-and-so have been talking and we, we feel like there's this, um, this thing about you that is, is special like us. And, and I just wanted to talk to you about it. Have you ever heard of the Amara Sutra? And I said, I've never heard of the Amara Sutra. Um, and so he gave me this, this line. And, you know, at the time, I, of course, who doesn't want to be told they're half God? That's what I was told. He said we were all half God. Um, and who doesn't want, what 13-year-old person doesn't want to hear that? Um, and so, you know, it was really tantalizing. And as I got older, I was like, okay, this is obviously bullshit. And some, some God knows what could have happened, right? If I would have actually befriended these people and so on and so forth. But there is this... Um, this discussion that happened as as I was leaving that that group of people that that has always kind of stuck with me, um, which was this uh, this concept that um, we were divine, like I mean, and divine in that you do have this divine birthright, you are connected to something bigger, you are a spirit in a physical existence, and um, not everything is as easy to understand as you might think it is, and. You know, I can look back on it now as a, as a responsible adult and go, there's no business these people had talking to me at 13. There was no, you know, that should not have happened. And uh, the world was just, we looked at these things differently, I guess, back then. Um, and I wouldn't approach a 13-year-old today and say, hey, by the way, you're half God. Uh, but yeah. there's something there that has stuck with me in that sense. I know that I'm not self-aggrandizing. I don't think I'm half God. But I, I that piece that we are divine and it's not as simple as we all want to make it be, it has always stuck with me. And it's been a, a driving force in what I look for uh, when it comes to my occultism and my relationship with the spirit world. And when I walked into the, the Nephilim, and I say walked into them because I, I, it's really what it felt like. I literally ran into one and was like, holy shit. Uh, th- we, all right, we got to talk. Um, I, am, I have been blind. Um, but I ended up having these really intense experiences that reignited that awareness in me that I am part divine. And, and it's not just me. There are, there, we're all part divine. Um, but understanding that in a really primal kind of sense that it, it wasn't just this thing that was inherent inside of me, but it was a birthright. Um, the, the psychic abilities, the, the witchcraft, the whatever it is that I was doing um, that was driving me through this preternatural life. Those things were all part of my existence. This is why I was here. Um, it, it was life-changing. It was absolutely life-changing. And I feel like my work with Nephilim, that's probably been the, the coolest thing I've gotten out of it personally. And so I was wondering, what has been the greatest lesson you've gotten from working with the Nephilim personally, if you, if you feel free to share that? Trust that you actually know what you know before your rational mind engages and says you can't possibly know that. Like, stop telling yourself you don't have a right to what you're carrying. That that was, you know, I, I I think I'm what ten years older than you, and and so like the the culture that I was raised in, you just weren't allowed to have your own identity. It was sort of like handed to you. I mean, we're we're both from Ohio, so Midwest, and so as a queer person, an intersex person, a psychic person, like it's weird. That the psychic stuff was more accepted in my family than all the rest of it. Um, totally. I'm totally there with you on but, that. Yeah. But culture, culturally, I was raised to doubt my right to validity, to authority. 
somebody else needed to be the one to tell me that I was special or that I was right or that I was what I was. Like I was given a name, I was given a gender, I was given a sex, and I was given an identity. And to push back against that um, when I was growing up was not something that you did. So for me, the, the, the biggest revelation of coming to terms with who I am, what I am, where I have come from, what I remember, and what all of that means is accepting I do have a right to those truths. I don't always have to justify them. I certainly don't have to justify them to myself. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. I, f- I feel a, a really strong resonance with that. And I, I think a lot of people who are listening will too. Um, do you feel that we are in a place? So the Nephilim, I keep, this is, it's a, again, this is my, this is my thing that I'm chewing on right now. Do you feel that we're in a place where we are getting closer to understanding what's really going on? Or do you feel like we're starting to just kind of inflate the topic with hot air? I think we're getting closer. I think the only way to get closer is to get over the very natural hesitation. I think pretty much anyone who's actually like looking at, at the real truth here, like I, cause I've, I've watched so many people. I, I do the same thing of like, I just, I don't want to lay it all out. Like I don't want to sound, I don't want it. I know that I know that this sounds like too much. Like I know, right? Oh my goodness! And and, yeah. and I think one of the things that really I needed to learn as I as I went along um, first was that fear to talk about it and to accept it is less about being afraid of sounding crazy, and it's actually more being afraid of being right. Because if this is true, let's just assume what what you or I or anybody listening who suspects about what you are, where you've been, how long you've lived, anything, how terrifying is it to accept that that's actually objectively true? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your responsibility? Like that's the real source of that fear. So if we can get to a point where we get comfortable enough to at least accept the possibility that this is real and then talk to one another because we are all pieces in one another's puzzle. Not all of us remember everything. Only by dialoguing are we going to be able to get all of the pieces together because everybody went in different directions. Everybody expresses their nature in a different metaphor, in a a different shade of stained glass, if you will. And we won't have the whole piece, we won't have the whole picture if we don't get over the artificial boundaries and actually communicate. So I think that we are at a point where we're starting to. I'm I'm incredibly excited about it. Um, This is the most open I've been about this to anybody outside of House Kepler. I mean, I, I, I founded a system around all of the stuff we're talking about right now. Um, and this has been our deep secret oath content. Like this is what we're talking about. I'm so excited because it was oath mainly because it was so forbidden to talk about and we've gotten so much pushback and so much incredulity from other systems. It just it seemed like it was something that we 
we, we couldn't not pursue it. It's, it's such a core of who we are and what we are and how we experience stuff. But we didn't think we would ever see a point where we could talk to people who weren't just a part of this group. But we're there. We're, we're having this conversation. So, yes, I think we're at a point where the doors open. We just have to figure out how to walk through. Yeah, no, that's... Um that I'm in a very similar place right now. The, uh, in sacred fires, that's what it's all about. That's, that's the big, I don't want to say it's the big secret, but that's, you know, that's what the initiations are there to do. That's what the system is there to develop inside of the, the practitioners. And, um, you know, we kind of threw out the concept that I'm everyone's teacher. It's, it's more like I'm your mentor. Soon you're going to be a mentor for somebody else. And we're just helping each other up this mountain, trying to understand this crazy stuff. But there are a few core truths that we've identified and and the the core <laughs> at the core of the core truths is this idea that yeah there's there's this nephilim thing going on and uh, we are going to strip away those things about our identity that were handed to us and we are going to forge our own soul um, because that's what we get to do as uh, descendants of of such amazing beings, um, and so it's it's a beautiful thing to to hear you say that. And and I'm in a similar similar vulnerable place. And I think when this airs, um, I think people are going to hear that in our voices and in our shock. Uh, so we've had this conversation. I'm excited to see um, what you are doing in Ohio with your with your group of people. You've been doing some really beautiful stuff. I've gotten to see um, some of those conversations and some of those things. Um, and you've just got this really beautiful group of people. What what do you feel um, is happening with that right now? Where do you where do you see that going? Oh, I mean, House Kepru is dedicated to teaching to like uh, and, and of course teaching is a is a two-way verb where you can't just like dictate stuff to people teaching is, is something where you engage in dialogue uh, and a lot of what we've been doing for for years at this point is to create spaces where people can communicate build bridges between different communities and so uh, you see a lot of it in my own identity and, and, and work out in the world I work with the paranormal community but I am simultaneously in that community representing people who practice magic and people who are occultists and people who are vampires and people who are maybe using the word vampire because it's the easiest thing to accept. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and just continuing to, to reach out and to be authentic. Um, we, we have a charge um, the Kepriyan charge that we recite at the start of every ritual, and it's um, the, one of the some of the closing lines are: uh, "We are catalysts, and as we awaken to ourselves, we serve to awaken the very world." And that's the work that we've been doing for decades. At this point, is working on ourselves, working to accept our truths, has a ripple effect, and not just us in House Kepriyan. Everybody, as you develop yourself. As you open those doors, as you knock down some of those walls that you have built, that the world has built for you, as you become, you create this resonance in the world around you. And whether you intend it or not, the light that you become begins to illumine everybody else around you, little sparks. People who weren't awake before wake up just a little bit. 
you start to change reality around yourself. You bring more magic into the world, not just by sitting and doing spells, but by simply existing. Um, when you become, when someone is really doing that work to hone themselves, to accept themselves, to embody their truth, every moment becomes ritual and magic and, and, and celebration of divinity. And that existence ripples through the world. So I'm doing that work. I can tell you're doing that work. Storm, so many people are doing that work. Christopher, just I, I have a litany of names of just bright flames who are helping to ignite the world that we live in. And I'm really excited for, for as we move forward with that. Because, you know, it's a really dark time, but it's also incredibly bright. I think I'd have to agree with that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for the candid discussion on a really weird subject. And uh, I appreciate it. I think everyone's going to appreciate it too, just being able to, to listen in on our, our strangeness. Um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything that I didn't say or I didn't ask that um, you feel you want to say or, or bring to the table? Mm, nothing that I can think of. I, I recommend like track down Blood of Angels, a lot of stuff that I never felt comfortable saying out loud in nonfiction. I have said in song or in fiction um, in my Shadow Side series. Because uh, myth is a very useful tool to encode the things that our brains aren't quite ready or willing to to accept starkly written down as nonfiction. Absolutely. Sometimes. Yeah, that's that, and that's a that's a tradition with occult uh, authors. I find there's there's a lot of occult authors. I want to do it myself. I've got a whole. I got a whole nonfiction series I want to do about the multiverse, but you know, um, but that's something that we do. Uh, I, I think once we kind of realize there's only so much that we actually can convey in a certain way, we have to switch gears. And I, I and, yeah. and to me, you know, I, the, the analogy I often use just for the the craft and the occult is that it is an art form. It's just it's it's one that engages the world, and we have to accept that it's art. And because sometimes that's the only way you're going to get the point across. Um, oh yeah, no. There's there's some things that can only be transmitted in in poetry or song. Like there's just language is a very inefficient way of communicating. You have to engage image and art and metaphor to like really convey some of this deep stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Then that's the only way. That's the only way. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes words fail, and all you have is art. And so, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, this was awesome. Um, yeah, this was a very fun deep dive. Yeah, right. I, I, I was expecting it, but I also wasn't expecting it. That's which is a good thing. Um, I know. I, I'm, I'm glad that when I, I, I had the impulse at, at convocation when I saw you to just sort of like be like, "Hey, here, have this tarot deck. Maybe you see something there that we can talk about." Oh I yeah. No, here. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. That it's it's actually on my altar. And when I need to talk to a certain set of someones, that's what I use. So it, yeah, we put a lot, yeah, a lot in there, and, and had people posing. That was that was an interesting aspect of the artist was not prepared to have dead people show up, and or let's not say dead people to have spirits just be like, "Paint me, bitch!" Right? <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, but that's, that's obviously what needed to happen. And, um, yeah, I love it. No, it's a great deck. That's, that's one of the, uh, the ones I'm, I recommend to my students. So you, know, you want to talk to, you want to go talk to these spirits. Here you go. Here's a good way of doing that. Absolutely. Um, you've, you've have, you actually have, you've had a lot of influence over, uh, the, the course of, of even my own willingness to engage the topic outside of, um, the way that I had and what I've written about, um, it, it, you know, as the book series was progressing, I got a little bolder, a little more intense um, with with my approach to it and trying to share it with people. And um, and it had a lot to do with just meeting you and being like, OK, like, obviously, we're talking about this. We're just not talking about it. So let's do it. And and it was really beautiful. So, I, I you know, I appreciate that. And I, I, I can absolutely tell you that over just the as I was finishing up that final book in the series, um, that was that was a big part of me, me sitting down and going, OK, well. You know, I can I can approach this, and if I do this, I know it's going to change the way people look at the work I write about. It's going to change, but this has always been the underlining current anyway. You know, so it was um, it was really it, having you around and just having you as an influence to to be like, okay, no, 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 we can talk about this was was really powerful. So I'm glad we got to kind of do that uh, in an audible way uh, for this, and I'm excited to hear what people say in response. I think well, either we are completely batshit or real and again consider where the fear comes from because yeah. at least for me the fear was being right the biggest fear was having it actually turn out to be true absolutely yeah wow uh yeah so I, I i think i've kept you long enough i could talk to you for hours and hours and hours uh if people want to find out more about you and uh what your what your work uh is currently and what you're doing where would you send them uh my most everything is through my website, michellebelanger.com or Belanger, if you want to pronounce it like an American. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you can just Google whack like Michelle and Vampire and I come up for the first 15 pages. Uh, my online identity, I tried to make it consistent. So like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all of that is under Seth Anakim, S-E-T-H-A-N-I-K-E-E-M. And for like the Book of Enoch Nephilim people, Anakim, it's just another one of the tribes of the angels. Uh, so that's actually one of my magical names. Uh, and yeah, so all of that. All the of website. That. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, you, uh, you heard it here. Make sure that you check Michelle out. And uh, all of the links will be in the show notes. We'll be right back after this. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, things got pretty interesting, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a really fun interview for me. Um, I definitely got a little carried away and excited at a couple moments, um, and hopefully you didn't mind. I really do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you are interested in Michelle or what Michelle is doing, you can check out the show notes. Uh, you can also go to modernwitch.com, and you can get more Modern Witch there. Everything from playlists to blogs and interviews and recommendations, and just it's all up there. So definitely check it out. And once again, I have a new book out, Modern Witch, Spells, Recipes, and Workings, and it is available 
pretty much everywhere. So, uh, and it will be coming out officially in between now and the next episode. So I do hope that you check it out. And if you like it, say something on Amazon, uh, take a picture, post it online, tag me. Uh, I, all of it, just please all of it, do it, do it, do it. Uh, all right. I will get back with you in just a couple of weeks. And I've got an interview with Jason Mankey coming up. That's pretty cool. Um, and we get to talk about some stuff that we don't normally get to talk about. So I'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, uh, just stay witchy and stay as cool as you possibly can be because you are cool because you listen to me. You listen to the show. You are one of the cool witches. Don't forget that. There are forces at work here, dark, incomprehensible forces.